I'm Jason Van Metting. And I'm Ksenia Chmutina. Welcome to Disasters Deconstructed Podcast. So, welcome everybody to episode 19 of season 1 of Disasters Deconstructed. We're happy you've joined us again. It's just me and Ksenia here. We're doing a special episode today where we're going to actually let you listen to other people rather than us for once. Yeah, yeah, about time, right? Hi, everyone. <laughs> so back in June, we hosted the IREC conference here in Gainesville, and we had such interesting people coming here from all over the world. And one of the cool things that we did was we organized a sort of soapbox area where people could come and share some of their thoughts in response to a prompt that we gave them. Yeah, so we've asked, oh, by the way, and thank you to for Mike to Michael for recording all this um, audio and video. Yeah, Michael Monroe at, at University of Florida was our videographer. He did an amazing job for us. Yeah, he did an absolutely amazing job. But so basically, um, we've asked everyone to answer a pretty simple yet very difficult question. So we've, the question that we posed was, what is the status quo in disaster studies and how do we disrupt it? If you remember... We had an episode with Giuseppe and Emmanuel where we kind of touched upon this. We touched upon status quo. We've discussed what are the key issues. But we also wanted to hear from other people. And it actually worked really, really nicely because so many people actually went and they recorded their three-minute videos. And we also have some recordings in Portuguese, Spanish, and Italian, which we will share with you as a special content um, in addition to this episode. So yeah, today we just want you to listen to um, our guests who have shared their thoughts in English um, as a part of this main episode. And then we'd like to hear what you think about the status quo in disaster studies. Totally. And so just to remind everybody to access any special content, you need to become part of the Discord channel and our community on there. We're hoping to ramp up kind of engagement with um, the content there and release more special recordings for anybody mm -hmm. who is on the channel so please if you haven't already join the discord channel and uh what else our book group is on discord as well well yeah the book group um we've we're gonna start discussing the first book um yeah. i think tomorrow right is is the first day to that's the plan to discuss the first part of the book so let's listen to these clips. There's about 11 or 12 clips, and we're just going to play, play them um, mostly in their entirety, and then we'll have a little chat about it at the end. I'm going to give the easy answer to that, which could be the flippant answer. It could be the easy go-to. But since I'm one of the first people to go, uh, I think I'm okay to do it. So my answer would be it's capitalism. But I think that's the easy answer, right? But let me tell you why I also think it's the important answer, because that's the system that we live under. And if we were living under a different system, if we were living under uh, feudalism or communism, then we'd have to challenge that status quo as well. So why is it important to uh, break the status quo of capitalism in terms of disaster recovery? 
Uh, I would say because capitalism is bad at several things we need to do. One of those is long-term planning and thinking. It's very bad at that because it likes to create volatility in the short term. Uh, second, um, capitalism is very bad about looking at both land and people as anything other than commodities. And if we have to take land, people, space, these things seriously, it's hard to take them seriously when we're only evaluating them on how productive they are uh, economically. Um, the third reason we have to break capitalism is the status quo and that it's bad at doing disaster uh, recovery is that it Capitalism does not want to distribute its own power. It does not want to break apart its own power. So when we see, say things like community-based or bottom-up approaches, we can't really do those under capitalism because to have a true bottom-up approach would upset the system, and the system doesn't want to be upset. So I say we break the status quo by uh, tossing capitalism overboard, going with something else. Thank you. The status quo that uh, I want to disrupt is the belief, the social belief, that the responsibility of recovery and reconstruction after a disaster relies totally on the state. I want to start or to promote the concept of the empowerment of citizens in the sense that they are able to address, to identify the problems and address those problems in a way that they find their own solutions and, and, and really they, they achieve what they really need and know what the state thinks that they need. In that sense, we can reach a really participatory uh, recovery and reconstruction based on the concept of uh, citizen, citizen empowerment and citizen, uh, and citizen censors. When we're looking at the times that we're living in today, I think it's important to start talking about difficult questions. We might not necessarily have answers to all of them right away. It has taken a long struggle in many parts of the world. If we look at history of social movements, social movements have gone a long way in achieving matters of justice, matters of human rights. They've taken a long period of time. Um, I think it's important to engage with some of these critical questions. Um, very often, right now, there is a lot of pressure on talking about new knowledge, what's innovative. I think it's also time to look at, um, look back in time. Uh, for example, even the fact that we continue to use the word natural disasters um, is to go back and, and look at critically how far are we and how can we change that. Um, for example, after the, after the cyclone Fani, which happened recently in India, I think we claimed, um, or it is a major success story of preparedness because we saved a million lives. It was one of the biggest evacuations that we saw in recent times. However, it doesn't stop there because the test now is when these people go back to their homes, those homes will be destroyed, livelihoods destroyed. I think that is the test. It's not only about protecting lives, it's about protecting livelihoods. It's about bringing these, it's about safeguarding all of that in a, in a much broader, bigger perspective. Um, and I think we're missing some of those questions when we're talking about governance, particularly disaster risk governance, human rights and justice. 
um, how, do, how do we not only talk about extreme weather events, but how do we talk about disasters that happen on a daily basis? How do we talk about memories of drought, histories of drought that have taken place 40 years ago, but have really major repercussions on communities um, today, even 40 years after? Um, and there are many path places in the world that we continue to see these sort of stories that have happened 40 years ago that are happening even now. And, um, and how do we raise our voice against that? How do we, um, how do we resist such processes? Um, when I work with fishing communities, one of the biggest, um, one, of, one of the biggest takeaways for me was they resisted relocation because they, the community stood together. They raised their voice together. Processes of conflict with, with states. Um, I'm talking of my work in South Asia, where processes with the state of, um, with the states in a way, turned from conflicts to negotiations to sort of sitting across the table. It's been a long struggle, but there was success. Um, so it's not easy, but uh, I think it's also important to keep the hope alive. I think the status quo that needs to be disrupted is the misunderstanding that people don't have and they don't recognize that they have power and agency and also therefore responsibility in our own lives, but also within the systems that we find ourselves. And in terms of a solution to that, I think that's the challenge. And I think that capitalism has really benefited and created and amplified that impulse that we have towards not really recognizing our value, our self-worth, and our power, um, and especially our power within the political systems that we're in. Uh, I think I'm a good example of someone that has had the ability to recognize my own personal um, power and my own personal responsibility within the collective. Um, I didn't have any traditional political experience and I was able to run for office and um, become the mayor of my community and now we have one of the most car um, ambitious carbon neutrality goals of any city in the United States. And I think that that that, that everyone is capable of accessing um, the parts about them, their strengths, and amplifying those to be able to make a difference um, in, a, in a pretty complicated world at a really important time. I guess we want to disrupt uh, maybe two things. We want to disrupt um, social injustices, that are causing major problems in, for example, developing countries, but also among vulnerable people in developed nations. And maybe the second thing that we want to disrupt is modes of and ways of building cities today that are creating um, disasters. So regarding the first, it concerns mostly um, the creation of social conditions that lead people to states of vulnerability, um, particularly concerned with situations in which social injustices uh, are creating um, the conditions in which people become particularly vulnerable. Those social injustices include, of course, uh, inequality, poverty, marginalization, exclusion, racism, racism, and many other forms of social injustice. So one part of it concerns 
the social structures or infrastructures that create risk. And the other aspect concerns more the physical way in which we are building cities. Um, the, the example of uh, modes of, of ur urban design, for example, or occupation of space in North America, in the US, in Canada, but also in Australia, that have created these, these, these conditions for um, generating uh, gas emissions to the point that climate change today is threatening the stability of societies and the stability of human systems. So I guess one part of the story has to do with social structures and infrastructures, and the other part of the story has to do with, has to do with physical infrastructure and the way we create uh, uh, cities. I think the status quo that we need to disrupt is, is basically this, what has now become a kind of global cultural model uh, that dictates the, the terms and conditions uh, of our relationships between human beings, that is human beings to human beings, and human beings to the natural world. Uh, we have been for uh, the last, 500 years or so, engaged in a process in which um, we have interfaced with the natural environment and produced wealth for only uh, a selected portion of the population of the world. Uh, in fact, the last 500 years, we've seen uh, the systematic extraction of wealth from one part of the world and its accumulation in others. The interesting process in terms of, or the interesting dimension of this in terms of um, our, our conference um, is that that accumulation and that extractive process have actually created uh, risk. As a matter of fact, we are creating risk on a daily basis and consequently the result of that risk very often when it inter interfaces with a natural hazard is uh, a disaster. And so in effect, we are, producing, we are producing disasters, more disasters. Some people have said we have an epidemic of disasters. No, a disaster is a symptom of a, of a, a, a greater system or a larger system that is engendering or producing risk um, through its relationships uh, with, the larger, with the natural environment. And within that set of relationships are relationships between people. So the status quo we really need to disrupt is we need to break those, those or change those relationships. Uh, and it's, it is a, it's a daunting task because it really means reconfiguring the way we understand each other and the way we understand the world. What's the status quo? Greed, rapacious greed, more greed, power concentrated in a few hands, too much confidence that that system is normal, 
that we don't need to question it. Too much certainty that we, as humans, have the capacity to continue to technically solve, to allow markets to solve our problems. Um, Hubris and overconfidence in our own knowledge and expertise and the rightness of our systems, of our own individual belief systems, our own community or group or self-identified set of compatriots um, that we know and are right. How do we change it? What do we need to disrupt? Humility, empathy and connection instead of certainty, um, an ability to work with others, with nature, instead of on top of and exploitative of. Um, The list goes on of acting of justice instead of disinterest of uh, prioritizing others and others than human and our planet's health, containing um, our suspicion of the other, embracing fear, embracing hope, looking for joy. How do we do that? Um, I can't say how everybody does it. I can just talk about what I do. And what I do is to engage passionately with people and projects and activities, endeavors, and campaigns that I care about deeply um, to engage others and inform them about the importance of the issues that I am engaged in, um, to work at different levels, to criticize and self-reflect on my own biases and knowledge, um, to reach out and connect to others who are like-minded, to think about futures, multiple futures, and think about how we avoid the scenarios that we really don't want to happen and where those key leverage points are, where power can be questioned, where intransigence to change can be shifted a little bit, where we can find the spaces for discussion, for negotiation, for understanding, for change, and make them happen. Hi, what I want to talk about is how at the moment a lot of the work on disaster risk is not looking at the root causes. What is it that makes a disaster happen? In my view, a lot of what's happening now with funders is that they're directing us away from looking at what causes disasters. So we have to look at the social, political, economic factors that actually make people at risk of being harmed when a natural hazard strikes. That means looking at the root causes. That means understanding the causation of what is going on. And I think that that problem is one that pervades the funding system where a lot of the funders who operate under the business of the mainstream world economic growth model, they don't want us to look at the root causes because they are partly responsible for it. So I'm much more worried about disaster risk creation than I am about the problem of disaster risk reduction because DRR gets a tiny fraction of the amount of money that is going around in the world which is actually increasing people's disaster risk. My solution to this is honesty. Academic honesty in which we are actually looking at these root causes and saying unless we fix those root causes we cannot possibly expect this problem to be fixed.
So um, what is the status quo of disasters? We are, the disasters are predominantly framed as issues of uh, lack of development, having to do with, a, with a vulnerability, social, political, economic structures locally that, that would hinder the full prosperity of people and thus becoming uh, victims of, of, of a disaster. But I think what we have to do is going beyond that and really work with local people um, uh, designing different sorts of educational programs where we, where we bring into the discussion the aspects, the impacts that have development on, in, on the long run on those local groups. Um, um, and and this, is, this is very relevant in order to overcome or disrupt the, the current status quo in a, in, a, in a perhaps decolonial sense, in a sense that would uh, take into account what has been done. And this is reproduced nowadays, for example, in terms of sustainable development where sustainability or climate change is, 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 is used as, a, as an excuse or pretext for, again, creating situations of power hierarchies, of uh, locally instrumentalized uh, approaches that, that would then benefit some, but not all of them. So I think the status quo that we really need to look at changing is the voice that we're actually giving to the communities that we're trying to work with. I think too often in disaster research, uh, we often uh, try to take our own voice uh, rather than actually giving it to the communities that we're working with. So I think that there's, there's a few different ways that we can go about doing that in our work. Um, I think one is increasingly trying to bring communities into the conversation, um, into the discourses and, and narratives um, and, and events that we actually take part in. So I think in particular, um, the representation at a global and a local level um, of communities and those voices is really critical to see that, that that comes about. So at a local level, I think that can be participation uh, in local government and, and trying to overcome power dynamics that are really embedded uh, within the histories uh, of these communities. And then at a global level, um, I also see that there, there's a, a way and a path that we need to, to think about for that. Um, so I think if we can look at uh, our own individual uh, contributions to that, again, I think it's really giving up our own seat uh, and, and allowing communities to step forward to, to bring forward really their perspectives um, when we think about disaster risk reduction um, and really building resilience at a global level. To answer the question of what is the status quo that we need to disrupt, um, I feel that we are stuck in the cycle of um, um, development, which is unregulated and unlimited, as um, uh, one of the presenters said, that leads to disasters. We do reconstruction, which again leads to the same development pattern. So I think uh, what I'm saying here is that we need to change uh, the way we frame housing reconstruction. And so who does that uh, framing? And so the answer to that is that the communities or the people who are going to live in the housing needs to frame the housing. What does it mean for them? Is it a commodity for them? Is it uh, a shelter for them from uh, the elements uh, and which makes them feel rooted in the place? Um, so not the government or the politicians, but it has to come from the people. Um, and that is what resilience um, is about. So we need to have that uh, framing of housing reconstruction from community. And that might 
allow us to break from this cycle of development, disaster, reconstruction, and may lead us to resilience. Unfortunately, the way that we are developing um, uh, in many countries is fueling uh, disaster risk uh, creation. So uh, for a number of decades now, we've been trying to influence policymakers as scientists, as academics um, and as community groups. And that doesn't seem to be working. So I think maybe a couple of things that we need to do is, is work more with communities and help them to get a voice and and understand what they can do for themselves um, in relation to uh, reducing disaster risk and not creating it themselves and not buying into uh, the, the, the structures and the frameworks which are fueling disaster risk uh, creation. Um, but also maybe as part of that, instead of sort of taking a broad brush approach to trying to influence policy, actually targeted approaches where, you know, there are some sort of forward thinking, uh, political powerful, politically powerful people, uh, whether it be mayors or presidents or uh, local sort of governmental leaders and sort of working with them doing advocacy work and, and trying to get them to play an important role within. So in a way, trying to sort of change the system uh, of politics from within rather than necessarily just trying to do it in a broad brush approach. So that might be a little bit idealistic and I'm I am seeing some sort of positive uh, uh, waves and noises occurring from around the world and some of which have come out at the IREC conference. So, uh, but we shouldn't give in and hopefully we can gradually make the sort of impact that we need to. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to this short audio clip. And as you can see, the themes that came up in, in discussion of the status quo are quite similar. So we when, we, when we spoke to people after the conference and also when we were listening to these clips with Jason, we kind of, I guess, summarized all these ideas into seven most prominent themes, but they're all very interrelated. And this is something we, what we want to kind of summarize now with you. So the most prominent theme to me was about the relationship of nature and people. And so, you know, the kind of this whole idea of nature as commodities that for us as human beings now in the 21st century, well, in the 20th century, in fact, economic productivity has become the only thing that we're interested in. And we've been talking a lot about it on the podcast, the whole idea of kind of growth and degrowth and sustainable development and whether development can actually be sustainable. Yeah, in um, the graduate class that I'm taking this semester, um, I've been talking with my, my students a lot about this aspect of our world, you know, and just the addiction to the idea of growth um, and the way that we um, don't value the household, we don't value nature um, and all the damage that we do has generally little consequence for those doing the damage. And so 
you know, I really like the the donut economics stuff from Kate Raworth. Yes. And just the rethinking of what the economy should be in terms of like um, establishing a social foundation and also limiting damage to the ecosystem. So I, I mean, that's to me what we should be talking about in terms of the economy. What, what do we want it to be? Not like we're trapped in this economic system, which um, for most people in the world just simply doesn't work. Right. And it's all about the kind of our relationship with the economic system and I guess with one another. And that was another theme which was really quite prominent that we're so ingrained in the idea of, of ideas of neoliberalism that everything is dictated by it, right? Like we almost don't have time to sort of step away and think, okay, if we if we really think about disaster risk reduction, if we kind of think about preemptive approaches, if we invest now instead of waiting for something to happen, you know, because we're so um, consumed by kind of other other stuff, then maybe we could avoid disaster risk creation. Yeah, I think if several of the participants in this um, soapbox activity mentioned the, the relationships between people and how the kind of status quo that we live within um, is not conducive to to helping us to um, you know get on with each other because it puts us in competition with each other and right. this, this idea of kind of scarcity and we need to accumulate to protect ourselves and our family and our tribe leads to all sorts of divisions between people that are not natural so to say right yeah absolutely and then you know by doing that we kind of recreate inequalities further and further and therefore we create and recreate vulnerabilities and you know that that's what we've, we've been discussing here in the previous 18 episodes that i guess we'll keep discussing in the second season yeah and so that's a good point and so this um the status quo systems you know social economic political are um not only damaging our planet and damaging our livelihoods and our relationships but they're also like you said recreating vulnerabilities and so they're mm. reinforcing injustices and like the oppression of groups that have already been marginalized and we often see this in disasters too where this there's this window of opportunity for change um, and then what we normally see is a kind of closing of ranks of the powers that be in order to protect the way things are and to recreate the things this the way they were already right yeah yeah, absolutely. And you know, you kind of you just said something that made me um, think about the essay I read just a couple of days ago on Twitter. You know, this whole idea of the competition that somehow we we perceive ourselves as competing with each other, right? Yeah. But yeah. actually, like, what what's the end goal? What it is we're competing for, right? Yeah. We, it's it's not like it's not like a sport, you know that. If your iPhone is sort of newer than mine, then, you know, you win, right? And I lose. Mm. And so when I was reading this essay, it was put so eloquently that actually we compete and that becomes part of just our existence, you know? So if I exist, therefore I have compete, but I have to compete. But actually we 
have nothing to compete for because, you know, there's no game, there's kind of no payment, there's no rules, um, there are no conditions, and therefore there shouldn't be any competition. But the way uh, the system makes us, I guess, live and exist, um, it makes it really quite almost scary, right? And so mm-hmm. the author of this um um, of, of this essay, uh, Trudy, she, she wrote that I don't have any competition. I have friends and enemies, respectful supporters and plagiarists, peers with integrity and imitators. No competition, though. Wow. And it, it, I found it so powerful. I absolutely I love that essay and I'll, I'll share it on Twitter. But yeah, and that sort of brings us um, to our favorite topic, the narratives, right? Mm. And that came up strongly again um, as a part of the status quo discussion. So how do we challenge the narratives? How do we talk about disasters? How do we talk about vulnerabilities? What it is we're talking about? How do we remove the power from our narratives? Or how we empower others with our narratives? So that that was something that was really, really strong, particularly, I think, in um, Hades' short bit. Yeah. Yeah, and recognizing the power of the people, right? And like the, um, I think Aaron as well was talking about community voice. And as researchers, how often do we kind of um, impose or or kind of read into a situation our own ideas and biases and um, fail to work like alongside communities to support their own struggles rather than um working like to help them you know to do something for them which is fairly paternalistic a lot of the time (laughs) yeah absolutely and like the the idea that stories are powerful and it's it's a representation of how people understand the world around them Uh, it's a representation of reality and um we we need to sit down and listen to other people's stories, don't we? Yeah, we do. And and we need to learn how to engage with people and listen to their stories. And that was the final theme that came up strongly. And again, we've discussed it in last week's episode when we were talking about the manifesto. You know, how do we engage with local communities? How do we engage with local researchers so that their stories are not hidden or not Un- misinterpreted by our own bias and our own stories. Yeah. Why, why, why is there such a lack of engagement with local researchers? You know, why, why are we so, uh, I guess it's again, it's a competition, right? Somehow we just think that we need to be lead authors. We need to um, do everything in the way we know um, how it should be done. Well, this kind of um, brings us to uh, maybe talk a bit about next season because um, next week we're going to release a compilation episode of to wrap up season one um, with some of the best bits from our different episodes and then um, we're going to have a little bit of a break we'll probably release special um, community content on discord in the in the next few months but our season two is going to launch in january and we've just touched on kind of where the direction that that's going. So tell us about season two. Oh, season two, very exciting. Um, so in season two, we will talk about narratives. We will focus on stories. We will focus on how we talk about disasters in different 
media in different ways um we will talk a lot i'm hoping we'll talk about music we'll talk about theater we will talk about stereotypes in the narratives of disasters so i think it'll be really really exciting we'll move away a little bit from our academic um pontification <laughs> which you know we'll miss terribly because we love it so but it'll be fun i don't think we'll be able to stop pontificating but mm, we'll we'll try no. to minimize it somewhat <laughs> and Part of part of that is that we want to also bring in guests that are a bit more diverse because in in season one we have dealt with some pretty weighty concepts and tried to break that down to something digestible outside of an academic bubble and hopefully we've managed to do that sometimes but we've we've contributed a lot to the jargon jar in other weeks. <laughs> so, yeah, so. I think yeah we we are, we are rich now. <laughs> We want this podcast to be accessible, digestible. And so next season in the storytelling and narratives uh, season, we're hoping to bring in more diverse voices, you know, bring in people who are not academics. So that's one of our challenges is to reach out and, and um, build relationships with people that are outside of our existing network sometimes. So if any listeners have suggestions or contacts or, or existing relationships with people who would be ideal to share stories about um, disasters or different ways of communicating or different ways of framing or um, different media, I think please let us know because we're looking for guests for next season. Yes, please tell us. It'll be great. Will. All right, I guess that's it for today. We've, we've promised in the beginning not to talk too much, but you know, we've already talked too much as we <laughs> always do. So, thanks very much for listening. Yes, and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram and join our Discord channel. We're um, really, we would really love to carry on the conversation there with any questions or thoughts you have about the different episodes or anything else. Um, we are here to discuss. Bye for now. See you next week. You've been listening to Disasters Deconstructed Podcast. I'm Jason Van Medic. And I'm Ksenia Chmutina. See you next time. Bye.